Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. It is President's Day, February 15th. Um, On Friday, SPY closed at 392.64. I think this is just around the all-time highs. Um, And when we make all-time highs, we have no choice but to bring the impervious to go over everything that's happening in the market. Uh, Sean, welcome to the show. Oh, markets are closed today. Don't know what to do. I guess we could do a little market LARPing instead and, and pretend. But how, how are you enjoying your, your day off here in honor of the, the dead white presidents? It's been good. I, I got a workout in, um, peaked at the email. I'm a big Inbox Zero guy, so I did use today to get to Inbox Zero on the personal and the work email. And uh, yeah, prepared for this podcast with you. So did kind of check my portfolio a bit, reviewed some earnings calls. Um, there's been a, a ton of Q2 stuff coming out, so I get behind on the companies I own. So it's a good chance for me to just get back to the fundamentals, read the transcripts, look at the financials. So that, that's always something I enjoy. So overall, a great Monday. What about you? Well, I, I imagine you're probably planning to maybe even do your taxes, you know, on the way to bed tonight. <laughs> well, relax, relaxation from your, your optimal holiday here. But no, I've just been enjoying a nice day off. It's, it's too hard to do that these days, being in the same place day after day. So it's kind of funny. You know, you got to force it when, uh, you know, you, you want to have a vacation. But here we are. Here we are. All right. Let, let's hit all things the market. Um, I think every time we talk, I, I say I can't believe we're making all-time highs. But once again, can't believe we're making all-time highs. So, so what do you make of the most recent market action? Yeah, we got all-time highs in the SPX and NASDAQ. Woo! Which, I, you know, this raises the question without a, a, a Trump tweet. You know, to hype this, is it like did, it, did an all-time high even happen? You know, it just feels like a little underwhelming about all that, that fanfare. But yeah, to rewind from the last time we talked, and that was you know, right at the peak of the, the GameStop uh, nonsense mayhem, which, you know, is still going on. There's still plenty of people chasing that trade. But uh, as, you know, we discussed there, basically just was no longer a bid. Once, you know, they finally let people start trading again, that's usually a good indication you don't want to be trading that ticker but it took about two trading days just to more or less get back to to business as usual uh the following monday you know we saw a rally started that basically didn't look back for two weeks taking us from you know just below the 3700 handle on the spx to uh now futures uh hit a a new all-time high in shortened trading today just about 39.52 so there's an undeniable uh momentum here to to the bull side, especially with that close Friday. But, you know, I think really the theme of the last couple of weeks, it's not that the short trade is dead, you know, granted that all the hedge funds have, you know, wisely gotten the heck out of the way there and have largely uh, reduced their short positions and actually degrossed quite a bit. But the really the last couple of weeks, I think could be described as more or less a, a rolling bubble. So, uh, even though the GameStop trade died, you know, that, that momentum and sort of retail frenzy just moved on to, 
to, to Bitcoin. And it's kind of amazing. You know, it only took one or two days before Twitter just became people tweeting the, the price of Bitcoin uh, nonstop again. And so it's good to have that back. And we also saw, you know, weed stocks getting pumped. We saw micro cap biotech getting pumped. Just basically anything, you know, with a single digit price tag, even better if it's less than a dollar, pretty low float, low cap. Uh, just see an insane amount of volume now that uh, the internet has become sentient and realized its power. But, you know, the, the interesting thing, even though we are at all time highs, sort of the, the market um, bellwethers, real tech leaders like Apple, Facebook and Tesla uh, have not even come close to making an all time high in the last couple of weeks and have been, you know, fading pretty strongly. So heading into uh, OPEX week for February, obviously all signs at the end of the last week um, with that bullish close and really all of the week's gains just came in that last hour on Friday. Um, I think there's a lot to indicate that, you know, we still have a, a true blow off top coming up. But with this being OPEX week, I definitely think that there's a, a few potential roadblocks, um, you know, as, as we'll get to in a bit here, starting with VIX and volatility. Uh, but other than just sort of trading some of the, the same stocks, CrowdStrike hitting a new all time high last week. Uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, you know, we'll be looking for, for continued moves going into next week. But, you know, that having been said, I'm interested to know what was lighting up your tape in the last week, man. Yeah, so I guess since we last talked, uh, I really thought the low quality company surge, which I assumed was caused by Wall Street bets, was a flash in the pan type thing. But it appears to be kind of a sustained rally in what I would call low quality businesses. And I own a couple of them, so I'm not complaining. Um, but you know, the subject of my last stock talking letter, which everybody can check out on postcronostocks.com was that, um, I'm trying to sell into this rally. If I own stuff that I think, uh, hasn't really, uh, had a business rise that has justified the stock price rise. Um, chef is my big example here. Um, this is a company that I think was priced to bankruptcy very early in the pandemic was when it was an $8 stock had the liquidity to survive. Um, now it's trading back up to close to what um, 2019 levels were. It's posting nowhere close to the EBITDA revenue. It's still down 30% plus on a revenue basis and margins have actually shrunk. Um, I think Chef is like a good example of what's happening with a lot of small caps. So like another one is Dave and Buster's, which issued chapter 11 guidance a couple quarters ago and is now trading like, you know, went from a $4 stock to close to a $40 stock. Um, I mean, obviously there's more bubble, bubbleicious stuff like, Right, blockchain is one of my favorite two dollar stock. The God knows how much, but nobody really knows its business model or its unit economics. Remember, it doesn't have uh, tr call transcripts. It's very unclear what their economics are. Um, so, uh, a lot of money is going into businesses where their unit economics are opaque or unsustainable, um, or aren't back to twenty nineteen levels. But the price action, you know, the stock has went beyond where it was when the the business was much more certain and much more high quality. Um, I encourage everybody to check out uh, Eddie Ethelbean's last letter. So he's a portfolio manager. Um, he manages an ETF, uh, ticker symbol CWS. Uh, but I, I very much align with his views in terms of how he views fundamentals and, and thinks about the market. Um, but he talks about this Fidelity's uh, quality factor ETF, so ticker symbol FQAL. Um, this basically is an index of businesses that have high financial quality. So you can think of this as like low leverage, good top line growth, good bottom line growth, good margin growth. Um, you know, distributing uh, cash back to shareholders, things that you would want as a fundamental investor. Um, this thing has gotten crushed uh, in, in, as uh, compared to how the market has done 
um, since the pandemic. So it, it's very interesting that like the highest quality businesses are underperforming. And I'm sure you could find any metrics uh, that support the fact that low quality businesses are doing better than high quality businesses. Obviously, just by definition, this isn't sustainable. Like if you are a company that does not uh, increase the top line and the bottom line and return cash back to shareholders, eventually people are going to get out. You can defy gravity for you know a couple of years. I very much buy into the Buffett and Munger thing that like you could pick a hundred companies that you knew were frauds. You'd still get slaughtered if you tried to short them because there's no way to time them correctly. Um, that whole Keynes thing about the market will remain irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Like all that said, I'm reallocating my portfolio to own things um, that I think will do well the next couple of years and have improved during COVID and look like a better business than they did in 2019 as opposed to a worse one. Uh, Yelp was a good case study for me. I think they've, uh, they've changed their entire um, kind of cost structure such that they are more aligned towards self-serve, um, have a smaller sales force and are uh, shifting into home and local. They're still big in, in, the, in restaurants, but they'll benefit from the recovery of restaurants. But um, overall, I think COVID helped them. They have a, a bigger self-serve business. EBITDA margins are 26% uh, for the last quarter. They were 19 and 20 pre-COVID. Uh, home and local services is growing a ton. So, and, and you know, they're guiding ultimately to, to buy back stock, um, to have top line revenue, I think it was 1.1 billion, which is, you know, where they were in uh, 2019. So I think the business has improved and the stock price is less than it used to be. So it's a very simple calculus uh, on my end of, well, if I think the underlying business is better than it was prior to COVID, I'm going to buy. If I think it's worse and the headwinds are high, I'm going to sell. Um, and just to touch on one more point, I think COVID's created a ton of shortages. And we've talked about this on the podcast. So there's all this supply chain disruption. And some of the things that are benefiting, I'll just name a few, um, shipping containers, uh, chemicals, uh, chips. So like you think of NVIDIA and AMD, you know, gaming applications or AI, GPU type applications, uh, auto parts, uh, housing is one that everyone's aware of. So uh, Taylor Morrison reported, another company I follow, a new home company reported, both of them posted really good results. Some of the commentary is super positive. So this is from Cheryl Palmer, um, who's the CEO of Taylor Morrison. So we're seeing strength across pretty much all geographies, as well as all consumer groups. That's a shift from a few months ago, the shift being like it used to just be millennials who were buying, and now it's pretty much everyone across the spectrum. So I think there's a lot of strength if you look at certain parts of the market. They're not necessarily getting the love from investors and uh, those are not the, the shares you see whose uh, prices are skyrocketing, but I, I think it's created an interesting dynamic and it, it's made me, it's given me a risk appetite that's perhaps higher than you would think when we're making all-time highs. Like I'm very willing to buy businesses that I think are discounted and have, um, have a really strong financial future ahead. So that's my two cents. Uh, overall, like I, I, I have a hard time thinking we're in a bubble uh, when I think like there are some companies that are doing really well and don't really have the valuation that they should have. So yeah, interested to hear your thoughts, but I can't believe that terrible businesses are outperforming quality businesses. Well, you know, you should start believing in something. These, these businesses are the, are the tooth fairy here that, you know, you, you got to believe in, in them if you want a buck under your pillow, because obviously there is no fundamental reason why any of those stocks are moving up. And I think it would be hard to base any of that price action on any materially uh, significant, you know, business fact there. And again, it's all purely due to the, the stock having the right conditions to be pumped and then summarily dumped. So even though the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent, you know, if you're someone that's chasing after a lot of these plays, Dogecoin, 
or any number of small cap stocks, do realize that the window for that profitability is sort of very short and probably going to come a lot sooner than you realize, especially if you're jumping in uh, sort of at the top of, of a move. And especially if something's made it to you know, mainstream news, let alone CNBC, there's, there's a good chance the trade is dead for you. So it's almost better to try and find, uh, you know, a few plays in, in sort of this underloved, but uh, pretty illiquid space to camp out in and, you know, hope to, to cash, you know, your lotto ticket there. But, you know, the number of articles I've seen either alleging the market is or is not a casino, I think is, you know, all, all that we really need to know about the, the current market conditions. But, yeah, so I, I definitely uh, appreciate that point of view. And I think that there is a lot to be said about the fact that there is absolutely nothing material about any of these bad businesses that uh, are benefiting from, um, you know, a significant amount of short interest or just being the right type of a liquid uh, to be pumped and then summarily dumped. So if you are the type of person that's trading after, you know, some of these, these plays, whether it be these weed stocks after they've already pumped, uh, which quick sidebar, it must have been nice to see your Tilray play be in the black for a few minutes there last week. So congrats on that. I don't know if you're anywhere close anymore or something like Dogecoin. Just realize that if you're getting in at the, at the end of a huge move, you know, that's not to say that this can't be a good trade for you, but there's a good chance you're going to see a massive red candle, you know, right after getting into something like that, because any of these names that are uh, really just a speculative instrument um, are going to get sold and be filled with a lot of weak hands there. Uh, a lot sooner than a good business or, you know, something that someone would actually be investing in. But I do think we are at a nice sort of inflection point in the market where uh, value should be seeing a, a return to the light. And, you know, you'd mentioned housing and, you know, that's been sort of one of the bright spots for the U.S. economy. Uh, looking into some of the housing numbers, I did see that the inventory has finally started to tick up here at the beginning of the year after hitting basically uh, 25 or 30 year lows. And as long as the Fed keeps rates low, um, that should continue. But I do think that Jerome Powell has got to be uh, building a little bit of a flop sweat there with the 10-year treasury getting uh, over um, 20 basis points there. So that definitely is, is an indicator to watch because uh, as those rates rise, which is sort of an indication of expected inflation, you know, things could get out of hand pretty quickly in uh, the equities market. And I think that's also really bad for a lot of the growth names out there that are not profitable and have been up a significant amount. So if the cost of capital were to come down, uh, which a lot of people doesn't expect to be anytime soon based on the Fed's comments, um, then they, you know, you can expect a pretty significant earnings compression on those companies with insane PEs. You know, Tesla being probably the biggest offender and a little more on Tesla in a minute there. Um, but that would see, you know, definitely a rotation in more of the, the value names. Um, but all that having been said, I think that, you know, whether you're into the value plays or even looking to find an entry in some of those momentum plays, there's definitely a, a very interesting uh, market inflection coming up in, in this week in particular. So um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're coming up on the February OPEX. So that's when uh, most options um, that would expire in February have uh, their expiration date. And with a lot of the market being driven mostly by options activity and a high amount of gamma exposure and all of the, the gamma squeezes we've been talking about where out of the money call buying just pushes up pricing, uh, even with you know, pretty weak underlying buying or even dark pool selling. Um, when we come up to an OPEX, and it means that most of those contracts are expiring, either they get rolled forward as they kind of have been for the last however many months, or they get closed out. And all of the underlying that the 
person who write it, wrote those calls uh, were holding to hedge that position gets sold. So that's something to watch out for this Friday on a shortened week. But I think that VIX is definitely becoming sort of the dominant trade, a really dominant feature. We've talked about the dollar before, bond rates, different things. But if you look at how price action has really responded to VIX, um, after that GameStop week selling in the general market and SPX, you know, we saw VIX just continue sort of a, uh, a continuous meltdown, hitting basically its post-COVID low uh, around 20 on Friday. And a lot of that, that uh, unwinding of hedges basically led to the, the rally that we saw. And um, that leads to a lot of sort of overnight buying and different sort of market apparatuses driving a lot of the price action. But now that VIX has been basically crushed to its, its post-COVID low level and as low as we've really seen it in the last however many months, uh, there's a good indication that it could potentially reverse. So there's a couple things that stood out for me last week. You know, one, uh, VIX uh, futures net short positions are basically the highest they've been since pre-COVID and back to pre-COVID levels. So if you're looking for a short squeeze in a market where actually the overall short interest is quite low, except for a few names, and those names have seen a, a massive pullback in, in short interest, the VIX is one as well as the dollar, which still has some pretty significant short interest since short volatility has been basically a go-to trade. And if you're not familiar with what VIX or volatility is, it's basically just a measure of how wide of a, a spectrum, I guess, the price could move over a certain period of time. Uh, I'm no VIX guru, and it can be sort of black magic getting into the VIX complex, but this is important for options because that, that volatility really affects the option pricing. So when volatility is low, option premiums are cheap, and there's a better chance for an asymmetrical return on either a call option, you know, typically, or even a put option. But when VIX is way up, those premiums go way, way, way up. So when we uh, return back to that uh, GameStop week, we saw the VIX just basically shoot up on pretty moderate selling, uh, which is kind of surprising. If you wanted to buy a put option on Friday afternoon, that would have cost you basically three times as much as it did on Wednesday uh, before that sell-off happened. So this is significant because we saw quite a bit of uh, call option activity and new open interest on UVXY and VIX calls last week. Uh, as well as record inflows over the last seven days. Um, and so this is pretty significant because usually when you see that type of volume coming into at least an equity, uh, you would expect there to be some price action and with the short, potentially a short squeeze. But the VIX and UVXY are ETPs as opposed to ETFs, meaning they really track VIX futures. So there's a question about would all of this, this volume and inflow really be able to affect the price? Well, I think that we have our proof uh, from two weeks ago uh, when we last saw some selling. And this is from a report from Morgan Stanley uh, trying to sort of detail what the retail inflow to, to VIX products could have. On that Friday, we saw the VIX rise by over 14 points, which is far more than what the VIX's typical beta to SPX would suggest since the SPX fell just 2.67%. So the implied move on VIX was roughly four points. So we got 10 points more than expected there. So if there were to be any type of additional volatility this week or continued bid for VIX, we could see the VIX just shoot up. And that has a secondary effect of basically potentially taking down the market. 
And to, to see an example of how this, this phenomenon can play out, look no further than uh, Volmageddon, uh, which was an event back on February 5th in 2018. Um, back then there was an uh, inverse uh, VIX ETF uh, that was quite popular, so basically goes up when VIX goes down. Um, but that basically became very illiquid very quick and ended up resulting in a spiked VIX, which caused a single largest day sell-off in the X SPX since 2011. So basically, we got you know almost a two-year anniversary of that, or three-year anniversary of that, then one-year anniversary of the pandemic sell-off, and potentially you know more risk than I think uh, is being priced in right now for. For volatility. So one of the trades I like coming up are some out of the money uh, UVXY calls. You could probably run some nice debit spreads there uh, just to get your premium down. But they are so cheap that you know if you are continuing to, to try and play in the momentum space or be highly uh, levered in, in this market or still have a lot of long exposure, then you know you you couldn't you could do a lot worse than having some some real cheap UVXY calls just sitting in your portfolio to protect against any downside there. But you know, all that having been said, Ben, you 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 trade in the in the volatility products? No, I, I stay far away from that. I mean, I actually do have a vol question. That's a great transition into another topic. I know you wanted to talk about. So sounds like VIX is pretty low right now, but there are signs that we could see a spike. However, in the oil market. Uh, I actually am reading that it already is high. So this is from a, a Bloomberg article um, on Intercontinental Exchange uh, WTI call trading. So I quote, uh, trading of West Texas intermediate call options used to place bullish bets surged to a record on the ICE on Friday. Oh, the CME group's more actively traded benchmark contract also jumped. Uh, so a ton of trading in uh, West Texas intermediate futures. Um, Energy has been a sector I've been loving on this podcast for a very long time, um, and it has underperformed. I, I still hold out hope that that could change, but I know you have some thoughts on this, and we may actually be aligned on a fundamental and technical basis for the first time. Oh, baby, are we? You know, we've, we've talked about oil before, and I think energy is, is a play that's flying under the radar, especially with crude oil. Uh, closing above $60 for you know the first time in a long time, basically the first time it's been there uh, since the, the whole COVID pandemic and the whole um, just collapsing of oil prices last May. And so yet again, we find ourselves with another heavily shorted industry, especially you know with short interest coming way down and uh, hedge funds seeing sort of the writing on the wall of being uh, naked short and, and not really protecting their tail risk there. But um, an article that, that I want to point it out, um, you know, coming from Zero Hedge, great purveyors of, of factual and unbiased knowledge, uh, titled JP Morgan predicts the biggest short squeeze yet begins next month. So this is talking specifically about how uh, large funds have been adding energy exposure and so usually when we see a short squeeze in commodities, instead of being like a one or two day event or even a week long event like we saw in GameStop, you know, this could be a weeks, months, probably even years long event. And there's been a lot of calls for this to be the start of a commodity super cycle. Look no further than lumber prices, look no further than obviously oil prices here. And like we talked about last time, we got beans in the teens. So there's clearly been uh, a ton of inflation that's really showing up in the commodity space. but with uh, the price action and oil potentially being a little overbought, we're at a point where we could definitely see uh, the overall uh, you know, consensus um, position here move from being overly bearish to uh, very bullish. So 
all we would need to see basically in in March is you know continued uh, holding of this price really. But um, with JPM's model momentum factor, we would only need uh, to rebalance in March by closing um, 20% of of allocation in energy equity shorts and adding 2% of energy longs for there to be a 22% net buying in energy. So basically, with one trillion dollars of an equity short uh, position from quant funds, then you know we could see about twenty to thirty billion dollars of uh, inflows in this space next March. So there's a lot to to indicate. This is a great opportunity and a great trade, um, especially one to be long on now and add to your portfolio as opposed to being a short term trade. Um, you can get exposure there with XLE and then obviously the big oil names, uh, Exxon Mobil, Chevron, Occidental Petroleum. But you know, one thing that stood out this last week, basically, if you were short any mid-continent nat gas uh, supplier, you were basically put out of business overnight as we saw an incredible nat gas squeeze on Wednesday uh, being driven by um, some, some very uh, low temperatures and the cold forecasts coming out. So with much of the country basically experiencing uh, the polar vortex and being um, unseasonably cold, you know, we have another driver here. And as we've talked about in the past, production in the oil space has been reduced significantly as a result of COVID. So the likelihood that comes online anytime soon uh, is very unlikely. So we could be uh, definitely looking at a great bull run moving forward. And again, you know, it's a little overbought in this space. So I might look to you know start really adding a, a big position the end of the month or the beginning of March. But um, I know you're just chomping at the bit to get yourself some, some more energy and oil. So Ben, you got any plays in that space that you'd like yeah. to highlight? I mean, it's a hard, I will say it's a hard space to analyze, like just like Buffett's like, I don't touch the banks. I think analyzing individual oil companies is very difficult because you have to value the wells and the reserves and think about the book value and try to make a call on you know, kind of whose uh, reserves and land is more valuable than others. Um, and obviously, like other producers hedge differently. There, there's a whole bunch of moving parts. I like your XLE recommendation. I would also recommend IXC, which is iShares Global Energy ETF. Um, has a nice dividend yield that I think will grow over time as well. I mean, when you're getting like a 3 or 4% yield on some of these ETFs, like, I mean, that is many, many times the 10-year treasury. And, and there aren't many stocks that pay out a 3 or 4% dividend yield either. I mean, the picture for energy, I think if you're bullish on the economy, um, energy has to be a big player in that. Um, I, I know to those who would be like, look at ESG, um, look at like the move to electric. Yes, that's all relevant. But you have to remember that like if you're looking at electric cars, this is a very small percentage of the overall global energy usage. Um, oil is used in a ton of stuff from like, you know, materials to obviously heating and cooling and, and various other applications. Um, and production, as you said, is way down um, and, and producers are very hesitant to, to bring production back online. I mean, one email distribution I'm on that I recommend, like if people are interested in the space they get on is the Baker Hughes um, active rig count. So this shows how many onshore rigs there are. Um, at, on a weekly basis and how many were added or subtracted. So I've been, on, you know, I've been following this for a couple of months now. It's like, you know, we bottomed in the low 200s in the United States uh, at the peak of COVID. And now we're at like the mid threes. But historically, that number has been in the thousands. And even during some of the worst economic times, like 2016, it only went down to 800. So j just to, if you're using that as a proxy, like, we are very constrained on uh, global oil supply and, and, and the ability to turn up that supply if need be. And I think every producer was burned so badly from COVID, uh, they're going to be very, very careful going forward. So I think you have, as you know, to your point, you have the technicals at your back and kind of the short position that could lead to a short squeeze. 
Um, I think on a fundamental basis, like you have really good price dynamics. And if you own an ETF, you have really good diversification and you have really strong balance sheets too, because a lot of the oil producers refinanced. The ones that survived COVID um, ended up with a lot of cash on the balance sheet and are probably going to have good earnings going forward. So you are investing into strength. I think they are going to lap a really easy 2020. You are going to see 2021 earnings that are wildly good. I mean, remember, you're going to lap a quarter where oil prices were negative. So you, I would not be surprised as an investor to see some companies reporting massive high 20s, 30s, 40s percent uh, increase on the top line. Margins should be better because prices are better. So overall, feeling real good about energy. Um, I think that's a great trade uh, for anyone who wants to move into an ETF. Or, or I mean, I'm sure the individual names I'm sure you can play well, too. Yeah. And, you know, we talked in the past about how we expect demand to come back online with the reopening. And, you know, at this point, airline traffic is down. It doesn't look like, you know, we're, we're going to really see a major surge anytime soon. We basically topped out uh, in terms of recovery. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, I don't think that really even needs to happen at this point, you know, especially with the fiscal and monetary stimulus being out there, you know, commodities are going to continue to surge. So I think there is a great opportunity for oil to still just benefit from the same sort of headwind as all commodities with the added benefit of the lack of production. And while we're on the topic of energy, you know, let's send another quick shout out to uranium, a very underappreciated uh, energy source. And if we're talking about supply sort of limitations, uh, uranium is something where there is basically no way that uh, production could come back online to meet even a modest increase in demand. And so nuclear fuel or nuclear power plants are still the cleanest source of energy, you know, despite the obvious risks there for, you know, anyone that's seen Chernobyl. Uh, but I think to sort of write that off as not being a major factor moving forward, I think would be very short-sighted. So a few names in that space, CCJ, Kamiko Corp, that's a uranium miner, uh, UUUU, a nice uranium uh, ETF, also URNM. But something that was really lighting up the tape last week, uh, Danaher Mines, DNN, uh, is a Canadian uranium miner. Uh, and last week, it was either last Wednesday or Thursday, saw over 150,000 uh, in volume on the March two and a half dollar calls. So we have here a nice little intersection of one, a you know low dollar amount stock with a very narrow options chain, um, a tremendous amount of volume, probably the most I had seen in one day and one ticker since Nokia in the middle of that um, uh, short squeeze week. But we're also looking at a basically 29% short volume ratio on DNN. Um, so there could be any number of reasons for uh, that massive amount of new uh, call uh, open interest there, but that's one I'll be watching closely because if it does start a move, the upside there uh, is potentially massive. You know, you could have yourself a two or three bagger within the matter of a week, um, just looking at that that space there. And um, one, one last thing I did want to hit here uh, in terms of on the theme of, of shorts is uh, something very interesting is, is brewing for, for Tesla, everyone's favorite meme stock. Uh, and Tesla had basically been sort of the, the poster boy for this gamma squeeze and being driven up by out-of-the-money call buying and all sorts of theatrics from Elon Musk. Um, the big news for Tesla the last week was announcing that they had purchased uh, $1.5 billion of Bitcoin. Uh, which sent Bitcoin up to new highs, but really didn't have much of an effect on the Tesla 
stock at all. And in fact, it looks like it's basically topped out, you know, despite a bit of a strong uh, close on Friday, relatively speaking, um, about uh, 8.16 right now. But what's really interesting is that for the first time in potentially ever, uh, we are seeing that there is a massive amount of put skew on Tesla, meaning that there is far more put open uh, interest than call open interest. And this is to the tune of about $60 billion. So just for perspective, that is more than the bullish uh, call premium on Apple and Amazon combined. Uh, so that's not an insignificant number there. And why is it significant? Well, if Tesla's price was driven up because of all of the out of the money call buying, and the market makers or call writers being forced to buy the underlying to hedge the position, this gamma squeeze effect also works in the other direction. So if there were to be a continued uh, put skew on Tesla, that would lead to the put writers having to continue to short Tesla to hedge the long puts that they wrote. So, you know, there's been a lot of bears that are now dead and buried. And I'm sure Michael Burry is, is uh, you know, cheering this on here. But it may finally be the time to say, I think it, it's a good opportunity to short Tesla. And, you know, it looks like the numbers are in your favor. You got to look for a great entry here. And I think Tesla will still uh, be having bear hunting season before it starts its, its long, slow demise to uh, reasonable pricing. But um, that's definitely one to look out for. So if there are still any Tesla shorts out there, you know, hang in there, buddy. I think you still got a chance. Yeah, ma many will enter if you will win on the Tesla short sweepstakes. I, I mean, I, I buy your argument, and I think the the metrics you threw out make sense. The setup seems pretty compelling. For me, I'm, I'm just throwing Elon Musk in the Tom Brady category. I, I will never bet against him. Um, I think with shorting Tesla, I mean, this company announces something sensational like every week, you know, the, the Bitcoin one, even though it's a token amount of the balance sheet, uh, I still think that, that generate headlines. I just think they're, they're so good at marketing the company. I mean, Elon and everyone who works there, um, it'd be very difficult to, to be short that company and hear like another roadster, or, you know, another car announcement. So I, uh, I agree the setup is correct. I just think there's so much uncertainty and uh, you know, Elon is his Twitter feed is so unpredictable. Different it's just a stay away from me. Yeah, and I mean making some waves last week on a on the Joe Rogan podcast, but he seems more interested in pumping Dogecoin than he does uh, running a successful company. And you know, I will point out it's it's not an insignificant amount of Bitcoin. Obviously, one point five billion dollars is a lot, but that's also roughly equal to their R and D spend for all of twenty twenty. So it seems like they are more interested in trying to make money on Bitcoin than they are through cars. Because if there's one thing we've learned in Tesla's history, it's that they can't really make money selling cars. So they have to be a something else company if it's if it's going to work there and you know even if shorting tesla is not your jam i think you can definitely look at the arc funds you know with kathy wood being a, a major hero and you know i i will profess to to being a, a major fan have been um tipped off on on many great plays and obviously at a, a great podcast uh, uh reviewing kathy's wood or kathy's arc um discussing you know uh the activity this being a very active etf but they're basically so exposed to tesla and also so exposed to growth and then also with basically 15 billion in inflows between uh january and february so far you know there's a a significant sort of uh risk faced by just having too much money there and continuing to go after a lot of these high growth names um, that I think could have sort of a, a potential blowback if we did see, um, you know, Tesla see a significant drawdown 
um, or something like, you know, the, the rates actually ticking up for once, which would be a death knell to a lot of these unprofitable growth companies. Um, so, you know, I still love the ARC funds and still, you know, totally am buying what Kathy's selling. But if you're looking to pile in at this point, in either Tesla or ARC funds, let me just posit that I think you'll at least be able to get a nice discount sometime in the near future. So, you yeah, know, pick, pick your spots. Oh, oh, big plus one then. And I'd say if you're in the market for discounts, um, there are a ton of companies with very positive tailwinds in good sectors uh, that I think have fair valuations. And I, I am sad to say Tesla and the companies in the ARK ETF are, are not some of them. Yeah, and uh, I, I did see a very interesting article this weekend about how uh, ARK, particularly their genomics fund, owns more than 10% of 25 different companies. So they're basically running out of companies to buy, at least in the genomics space, uh, and will pretty much be basically, you know, a significant mover and shaker in multiple different sectors pretty soon. Um, probably just gobble up the entire market. So it will pretty much just be ARC funds and Tesla at, at some point <laughs> going down this Yeah. Road. I mean, I'm a big Kathy Wood fan too. I, I've read a lot of the white papers every time I've seen her interviewed. I, I think she has terrific things to say. My thing is like, again, as you said, those ETFs are growing so large and they have to buy when there are inflows. Um, it's going to be very difficult to have the same type of success she had earlier in 2020 and 2019. And in fact, going back five years, I mean, you, Berkshire is a really good example of like, as Buffett um, had to manage more money, he just couldn't do the same things. And, and to his credit, he was wildly successful, but you know, his investing strategy certainly changed and the things Berkshire can, can do today, it's like, you know, you're going to have to have a pretty large market cap if they're if they want to trade any of the floats. So it limits your opportunities. I mean, I'm sure she can adapt, but um, this will you know this will not be uh, your father's arc, right? Or <laughs> when we have kids, like it won't be the same arc as when they're trading it. Yeah, and I, I still totally believe there. I guess the the thing is when you are basically trying to take on as much risk as you can, and that trade has been working, no doubt. Um, post COVID and you are basically the hands down sort of winner uh, amongst ETFs and funds. Um, you know, you can't really be, be uh, finding any issue with that, but it's a trade that works till it doesn't. And as soon as it stops working, it's, it could get pretty ugly considering the run up in a lot of these names. So, um, you know, potentially a good time to look to take profits as we've been um, saying the last couple of shows here, but you know, I'm, I'm definitely a buyer if we do see a nice drawdown in, in that space. But I'm, I'm definitely looking for, for Tesla to, you know, show that it's continuing this ridiculous precipitous climb before before making that plunge. But you know, all that having been said, should we hit a few uh, picks for the week ahead? Yeah, that's what, what you got on your radar this week. What are you going to trade? So just to run down real quick, um, you know, it could sound a little bearish warning about VIX, but I do I do love uh, getting some some UVXY calls. I have a number of uh, call debit spreads out in March, the uh, $11, $12 strikes there. So you know, I'll look to continue accumulating that as um, the week moves on. If we do see VIX just sort of bottom or languishing before an eventual bounce, because uh, I think I think it's a matter of time till we see at least a moderate movement. Again, as I explained before, it wouldn't even take that much market weakness uh, to send VIX and UVXY skyrocketing. So I think it's good to be camped out, you know, with, with a, a call debit spread. You don't need a huge move. You just need to sort of have the price move through uh, your strikes there and then you can close at sort of max profit. So uh, with VIX being very low and also, you know, I should add on Friday, the volatility of VIX shot up despite 
um, the price of VIX going down. Um, so there is actually VVIX, something that charts the volatility of VIX, which is pretty pretty meta. So that's that's kind of cool. Um, but that's indicating that you know there there is a lot of potential for that price action to get wild. Uh, but otherwise, in in more sort of uh, straightforward plays. I like the uh, GDX and gold miners this week. We have a number of miners reporting uh, with Newmont, uh, KGC all reporting this week. And obviously gold prices being elevated, we'd expect uh, good earnings, even though they've been sort of consolidating or in, in sort of a, a downward flag type uh, formations since those uh, highs this summer. Um, but I also do want to point out yet again, our friend of the podcast, CrowdStrike, uh, had a nice week last week printing a new all-time high on Friday. Uh, so closing um, above the previous all-time high, that definitely opens the door for another move up. So you know, I'd be targeting upside around uh, 255 on that guy uh, if we see continued strength in the market. And another play in sort of the stay-at-home space, DocuSign, uh, had a strong close Friday. It's been basically basing um, in this range sort of between 220 and 250 since September. So a break over about 265, and we could see it heading up to its previous all-time high, 290, uh, pretty soon. And so CrowdStrike and DocuSign, as well as Net, um, which sad to see that sell-off on earnings last week, as well as a number of those uh, players in the cloud space sort of moved together. So if one is doing well, find a laggard, and they're probably bound to catch up. Um, and then one chart that I'd like to uh, sort of highlight here, Zoom Info. I don't know if there's an actual business catalyst here, um, but since its IPO and shooting up to over $64, um, it's been sort of in this inverse head and shoulders position. So the way it closed on Friday, just about cracking um, its, its post IPO highs here, I think there is a lot of potential for a move up to that $64 uh, range in the days following its IPO and definitely a lot of upside from where we are today. A lot of accumulation, a lot of hammers um, out there on the chart. Um, and lastly, Danaher. So DNN, you know, that's just a cheap play to, to watch there. Again, I, I, I struggle to find uh, an actual business reason aside from, yes, bullish uranium, but you know, you can't really uh, just dismiss that amount of call open interest, especially on something that you know, meets our criteria for penny stocks. And last one here, Laser Luminar Technologies, ticker L-A-Z-R, uh, a LIDAR company, um, had been sort of consolidating in a bull wedge between 32 and 35, finally broke out, closing above 37 on Friday. So I'm looking for a move from 40 to 48. And all of this is subject to change based on how the price action goes. So looking for some risk, but also trying to capitalize on these moves if it doesn't happen. As always, super interesting picks. Um, I will trade IXC and XLE with conviction. I'm uh, going to add those to my long-term holdings. I think the uranium stuff is interesting too. So interested to find out more about that space and see if I want to own some of those names long-term. As always, buddy, terrific, uh, terrific thoughts. Always love having you on the show. So uh, happy trading. I love having you have me on. <laughs> it's an honor. All right. Happy trading. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.